0: Let us look at our Bibles again. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, just resuming a short little series that I've entitled Christmas Songs or the Songs of Christmas, where we're looking through the the Christmas story contained in the Gospel of Luke, and we're just honing in on, on different songs that are recorded there. Last week, we looked at Zachariah's song, And this week I'd like to look at probably a familiar one to you and that is Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 46 and I'll read through that song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Father, I pray that you would help us now to understand what you are saying to us, and may we be drawn to how uh, you have worked in this young, young lady's life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning by doing a little trivia. I want to read to you some titles of some songs that I think are old enough, uh, not during my generation, but maybe my parents' generation, or maybe you've been familiar with either on a commercial or a a movie tune. And I want to read this list to you, and then you tell me what they all have in common. Hound dog. You know, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. That'll be the day. Summertime Blues, Will You Love Me Tomorrow, or an old Stevie Wonder, Uptight, Everything Is All Right. What do these songs have in common? They were all written by teenagers. And in our song that we just read this morning, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have the privilege of looking over the shoulder of a song that was written by another teenager, Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you will look through history, you will see that there are many teenagers that have made their mark. Joan of Arc, at age 13, had no military experience, but she helped lead the French army in a major victory over the English. In the Hundred Years' War, in 1958, a 15-year-old named Bobby Fisher became the youngest chess player in the history to be named Grandmaster, the highest title possible. The Braille language for the blind was developed by Louis Braille in 1824 when he was just 15 years old. And in 1951, a 16-year-old named Barbara Johns initiated a student strike over substandards facilities at a segregated school in Farmville, Virginia. And her case would be combined with four other cases that would be known as Brown versus the Board of Education and used as evidence that segregated schools are unconstitutional. How about Mary Shelley? As an 18-year-old girl, she wrote the classic work, Frankenstein. And in 2014, at age 17, Malaya Yousafzai became the youngest recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. This young activist from Pakistan had become famous for speaking out against the Taliban and encouraging young girls to pursue an education. And of all these teenagers that made their mark, I think we could argue that God selected this little peasant girl to make a more significant mark than them all. This message today is entitled Mary's Song A Teenager's Legacy. I hope it's a word to our young people today as a word of encouragement. That God can use you to change history, to change the history of your family, to change history of the community. And isn't it true, loved ones, that it is often our youth that are the risk takers within a church? They are the one that are out rock climbing. They are the one that are out riding roller coasters. They are the one at winter camp that will be taking a tube, shooting it down a hill and onto a frozen lake. They are the one that will be throwing axes into trees. They are the ones that will be going on a mission trip, likely sharing the gospel, serving, and oftentimes outdoing even us established adults. It is our youth, and we see it here in Mary's life as well, that God is going to use this 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old to impact human history. Paul, thinking of this, how youth can be used in the church, wrote to a young minister named Timothy, and he said, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Young people, you can actually set an example for the old people. Now when we look here at this song, I think what we will find through these 10 different verses, Bible teachers have said that there are 12 different references to the Old Testament. Now think about that. 10 verses, 12 references. This is a young lady that is saturated in Scripture. This is a young lady when her world was turned upside down by a visit from an angel that came to her and says, You will be pregnant, even though you are a virgin, and that child will be the savior of the world. What what came out of her? Scripture. It reminds me of what John Bunyan, or what Charles Spurgeon had said of John Bunyan. Let me just read this quote to you. Charles Spurgeon said, I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his and you will see that it's almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress, this sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is Bibleine. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved. And we see that here in this song. As this young teenage girl is now pressured and pushed and a new change is brought into our life, what comes out but praise. What comes out but Scripture. So maybe it would be helpful for us just to review a little bit of a context before we dive into this song. In fact, let me read to you verses 39 through 45. I think a passage that is all too familiar with young ladies, and I acknowledge that Elizabeth is not young, but how about this? Pregnant ladies as they are sitting in a room. They begin to talk about pregnancy. And they begin to talk about baby movement within their womb. So I think you would find that this is, this is very personable. This is something that we would see in 2020. In those days, there in verse 39, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. We remember a bit their story last week. Verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among the woman, and and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Can you see this? I mean, have you been there where maybe you were pregnant or maybe your wife was pregnant and, and they're talking about, hey, was that an elbow? Was that a knee that just moved there? Now, what I'm about to share with you is not under the inspiration of the Spirit, but it's just from experience of a father of five boys, one is which is A wife has been pregnant five times. If you're a young man and your wife gets pregnant and she happens to be in the company of other young ladies and they start talking like this, my advice to you is to leave the room immediately. (laughs) This conversation is not fit for a man's ears. In fact, I would say go down and check the furnace, check the filter there in the furnace. and, and, And if not, if you've done that already, maybe you want to grab a box of nails and sharpen the end of them to make sure that they're ready to be pounded. Or maybe you would go out to the garage and you say, Chad, my my garage is already clean. Clean it again. I mean, this is just not conversation that is normally fit for men to hear. But it is something that we see here in this passage that we can relate to, isn't it? And it is from this, then, that Mary breaks out into this song. So let us review this song together there in your outline. I've got four different things that I think we can say about this. Number one is there is a joy-filled worship. We see here in verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now there is such thing in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and even today, of something called false worship. Where it is possible with your mouth and with your mind to say, I am worshiping, but your heart to be far from God. But that is not what we see here in Mary. When her world is turned upside down, it says, My soul magnifies, my spirit rejoices. The words soul and spirit refer to who she truly is on the inside. If if you would just permit me some, some liberty here. This young teenager does not go through the highs and lows of winter camp and summer camp and mission trips and Sabbath and Wednesdays. And and when she gets around to these events, then she has the spiritual high, and then a few days later, she plummets to the lows. What we see here in Mary is a worshiper. It's, It's who she is. She is possessed by joy. You see it there. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, the scripture teaches us that if we have joy, that that is a gift from God. It is not something that we aspire to or work at, but God grants that to us. Psalm 4, verse 7 says of God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Or Psalm 1611, you make known the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. and your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here you have a young teenager that when her life was bumped up against, what comes out of her? Joy. Worship. So what would have been the, the cause of that? What would have been driving that worship. I think there's at least three answers to that. And that's the second point I think we see in this song is that she had celebrate the Savior. She celebrates the Savior. Look with me again at verse 47, and it says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now why would you need a Savior unless you were a sinner? Now, contrary to what we will hear in many churches here in our community, Mary was not sinless. She was a sinner and needed to be saved from her sin. And so her joy is traced back to being forgiven of her sin. It's the same source of joy that we see in the next chapter, Luke chapter 2. Look with me at verse 10, where the angel visits the angel. Uh, Visits the shepherds and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Do you see the great joy in verse ten is linked to the Savior in verse eleven she would also say in the song in verse 48 of Luke 1, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Before Disney created Cinderella, there was Mary. Now, you remember Cinderella. There she was in her humble estate. There she was as a poor servant. And the prince came. And because of nothing within her brought her into his kingdom. We see the same picture here of Mary. Where she is humble. She identifies herself as a servant. And God in his grace and his mercy reaches out to her. And involves her in his redemptive story. So she sings. It's a song of joy. And that joy is rooted in being forgiven of her sins. And that's a song that you and I can sing as well. Isaiah 57, verse 15 reads, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. We see a pattern throughout this song that Mary wrote that God is near to the needy, that God is near to the hungry and to the thirsty. God is near to the humble that acknowledge their need for God. But if you're here this morning saying things in my life are going quite well, I've advanced a bit in my workplace, I no longer have a cubicle, I now have my own office, I now have not an old car, but a a later model car. And what I'm really looking to do is just to, to add Jesus to my portfolio. Jesus will not serve you there. Jesus will come to those who are broken, who acknowledge their sin, who are crying out to be forgiven, who acknowledge Jesus died in my place and rose again three days later. So she celebrates the Savior. The third thing I think we see in this song is that she reveres God's character. Verse 49 says, For he who was mighty and has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Verse 50, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This young teenager... Because of her acknowledgement of who God is, the attributes of God, she experienced joy, consistent joy in her life. One of the attributes she identifies here is that, that God is mighty. How was it that God would identify that he was mighty? Well, taking her a virgin, humble, and allowing her to become pregnant. Do you remember that story from just. Uh, chapter 1, verse 37, the angel said to her, for nothing will be impossible with God. I don't know if your experience is like mine, but when I was a child, I looked to my dad and just knew that he could do anything. And I can remember a time when I was about five years old, we were on the back porch of his house, and we were gathered together with some other adults, and we were about ready to eat lunch. And one of them, these adults, grabbed an old Heinz glass bottle. This is a, a, a ketchup bottle that had not been open and was trying to pop the cap off and said, Hey, David, referring to my dad, do you think that you could unscrew this? And I watched this scene. And I watched my dad put his right arm around that, right hand around it, and just with a flick, he unlocked it. And now we could have ketchup and for me, it was like, that confirmed it. I knew it. I knew it. He can do anything. And, and I think that's true of athletes. I mean, you can watch these athletes play, but I'm, I'm quite sure that my dad is better than Aaron Rodgers. I'm quite sure that he's better than Devontae Adams. He's just taking care of the family. I mean, that is the view that we have as little children. By the way... Don't tell my boys that I can't do anything. I'm enjoying these remaining years that I have with them. But then you know what happens. You, you tend to get older and you get into your teen years. And not, not only are they not mighty, they don't know anything, right? But then when you get into your adult years, you go back to, you know what? My dad does know a lot. Here's the thing about Mary. What, what was it about this joy in her life is she never got over the mightiness of God. In the same way that maybe a child would look to their dad, my dad could do anything, but he kind of grows out of that. I don't think Mary ever grew out of that with her father, God the Father. And so, yes, there is a joy. So whatever circumstance, you're going to carry this child, the Savior of the world. Well, I've never been with a man. doesn't matter. Your God is mightier than anything, anyone else. She believed that. Naturally, there would be a joy in her life. And we see that in other attributes that God disclosed about himself, his holiness there in verse 49, as well as his mercy there in verse 50. So yes, she is singing a song of joy. It's because she's been saved from her sin. It's because she reveres God's character and then... I think we also see here these attributes that she's just drawn to. Again, if you just permit me a little liberty here, if Mary's youth pastor were preaching five ways to have a good week at school or or seven things you should look for in your boyfriend or ten techniques to have a happy life, I don't think Mary would sit there I think she would say, I want God. I want to hear about God. I don't want this self-help stuff. Give me sound theology in who God is. This is a teenager who knew and appreciated the character of God. And this is where her joy came from. Let me just give you a last one. And that is this teenager also grasped God's story. In verses 52 through 55, uh, this young lady could, could trace the steps of where the Savior is in the Old Testament Bible story. It says there in verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She could see the patterns throughout Scripture that people like Pharaoh. That asserted himself and authority would be brought low. And someone like Moses, the meekest man, would be elevated to be able to be a ruler. She might have thought of Saul, this tall man who, who was head and shoulders above everyone else. He too, in his independence, asserted himself only to be brought low. So this young man, this young little brother named David could ascend and be king. She may have thought about Nebuchadnezzar that in that, Daniel looked upon this vast empire and thought of pride of himself and how he had did it and how God brought him low. And you see that pattern throughout the scriptures. In verse 53, how he has filled the hungry and good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. We see this pattern where God is drawn to the humble and opposes the proud. But in verses 54 and 55, we read, He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She can trace the line of the Savior from the Old Testament up until this very song that she is writing. I'm telling you something. I am impressed with the work of God in this teenager's life. I'm looking at this one and saying she has a sound theology. She has a reverence for the character of God. She acknowledges the sin in her own heart and that she has been saved by grace by God. No wonder she is singing. I guess I'd begin or end where I began with you. If we were to have a bucket, a bucket up here of three-quarters full of water, And if we walked up here, someone came up and just kind of kicked it, what would come out of that bucket? Water, right? Why would water come out of there? Because water is in there. I think what happened for Mary, as she was going about her teen years, God in his providence knocked up against her a dramatic event. And what came out of her? Scripture. What came out of her? Worship. What came out of her? Joy. What happens to you and I when we're going about our week, going about our day, and someone comes and knocks us up? What comes out of us? Is it Scripture? And I'm not speaking about cursing someone, (laughs) I'm speaking about is it impatience? Is it anger? What what is in us? I want to conclude today by just giving you a little helps. Several years ago, I was preaching through the book of Philippians, and I was using a resource by John MacArthur, his commentary. And I remember working through that and coming up, seeing a list. I think he called it 10 joy robbers, things that can, that can rob the joy of a Christian's life. And as I think about Christmas and as we're kind of getting ready, I'm not going to give you a shopping list today, but I'm going to give you a joy robber list today. So if you have your outline, just flip it over, and you're going to see 10 different joy robbers that can tap us and tap the joy that God intends for us. So I'm not going to preach a second message here. I'm going to work through these quite rapidly. And let me tell you what this is this is troubleshooting. If if you right now or this week, you're saying, there is an absence of joy in my life. This list is not intended to be a bunch of commands or law or burden to put in your backpack and say, if you really want joy, you have to apply all 10 of these things. Rather, this is intended to be, if if you're not experiencing joy and you are a Christian, look at some of these things. Perhaps some of these things are evident and you need to address them in your life. The first the first joy robber is one who believes he is a Christian but is not. We call that false conversion. It could be that the reason you haven't experienced consistent joy in your life is that you've never been converted. When you become a Christian, the Bible tells us you receive the spirit, and the fruit of the spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The point is, if you've never trusted Christ, you wouldn't experience this joy that we're talking about today. A second joy robber is the influence of Satan and his demons. Perhaps you've lost sight that there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place right now. And there is one that does not want you to experience joy. It would be helpful for you to understand, yes, there's misunderstandings going on in my life. Yes, there's some attacks going on in my life. I've lost sight of that. I find it interesting that the psalmist in Psalm 51 verse 12 said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It is possible to lose the joy of our salvation. Pray for it to be returned. Third joy robber is an inadequate understanding of God's sovereignty. You could be going through your day, throughout your week, and something has happened. You're like, where is God? I can't believe that this is happening. So some theology would be of help to you there. To understand that God is orchestrating all of his events. We call that providence. A fourth joy robber is prayerlessness. To just be stressed out about life. But what God wants you to do is cast your burden on the Lord. And he will sustain you. There can be joy in just realizing that you are God's problem. And all the situations around you, God sees and he wants you to cry out to him. Fifth is the emotional low that frequently follows a spiritual high. The classic example of this is Elijah and where he is out on Mark Carmel and God works in a dramatic way and it is proven that God of the Bible is supreme over Baal. But right after that, Elijah faces discouragement as Jezebel comes and threatens him. I can't help but think of this last week in our church. On Sunday evening, we had this magnificent worship service. They called it an adore service. And it was like we came together, we, we worshipped together, we sang together. And it would not be usual for some of us this past week to go from that high to a low in a couple of days after. That That can happen. So we have to guard against that. Uh, number five is focus on circumstances. I think I heard it in, in the Sunday school class I was in this morning that there are times... God will allow his own sons and daughters to be in circumstances that are beyond them. And instead of getting stressed out and overwhelmed and losing our joy, this gives us an opportunity to fix our gaze upon him. Remember Peter? When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Matthew 14, verse 30. Compare that with Mary. He is mighty. He can do anything. Number seven is ingratitude. Not be thankful for the blessings that God has given to us. You may be here this morning and and thinking, you know, I have a job, but it's not the job that I want. Yes, it meets the needs of my family, but if I could do it all over again, or I'm just dissatisfied with this and just kind of complain about the means that God has given to you to provide for you and your family. It could be, yeah, I got here in a vehicle today, but it's got rust on it. And God's like, I'm actually trying to work in your life through that rust. I'm trying to teach you to be grateful. God has provided clothing for you to wear, but you might say, but I've been wearing this for eight years. God is trying to work gratitude in your life. And if you don't have it, you have lost joy. Related to that is number eight, forgetfulness. Isn't that a theme throughout the scriptures of the Israelites? Forgetting God's blessing. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget his blessings. Don't forget the good things that God has done in your life. Number nine, living by uncontrolled feelings. And I confess to you that I—I I, th- this one hit me. I woke up yesterday morning to get ready for a deacon meeting early here. And as I'm I'm getting ready to walk out, I see the snow coming down sideways. And I say to myself, and so it begins. (laughs) And if I'm not careful, I will be in a bad mood and I just listen to the thoughts that go through my mind. It's going to be cold. you got so many things going on today. You're not going to get them done. What, what is going on in your life? We have to actually speak to ourselves truth. We have to speak to ourselves what the Bible says to us. We cannot be swayed by our feelings. If so, we will lose joy. Let me give you the last one then. And that is an unwillingness to accept forgiveness. An unwillingness to accept forgiveness. You might be just walking around with guilt when all along God has forgiven that and he is waiting for you to receive that, acknowledge that, and live in the freedom that has come through Jesus' death and his resurrection. So we look at this song here from Mary and we see a young lady that by God's grace was living in joy. When her life was bumped up against, Scripture came out, joy came out, and perhaps one or a couple of these ten joy robbers you could investigate today and the days to follow and say, I I desire that same grace in my life. It is available. Humble yourself. Receive the forgiveness of God and when your life is bumped up against this afternoon or sometimes this week, may joy come out. Let's pray together. Last week, our Lord, we, we read a song of an old man. And I think we gleaned from Zechariah. This week, we read of a song of a young teenager. And because these words are not of a man or a young woman, but they are inspired by you, they add benefit to our lives and they convict us. So I, I want to pray for myself, I want to pray for my friends and family here that you would work the same grace in our life as you did Mary's life. And when her world was rocked and where our world is rocked, truth would come out, joy would come out. I presume for many of us that is not the case. So, loved ones, I'm going to give you a few moments of silence just to personally pray to God. And, and in your own words, ask for that grace in your life to be experienced, that you would have that joy that we saw modeled for us in the song today. Like Paul, we read in the, in the epistles, he strove, he, he was striving for the local church to experience joy. Lord, I, I pray that myself. I pray that our church family would be known for joy, that they would have a, a, a happiness in you that comes from being forgiven of their sins, of going from knowing who you are, of grasping the story of the scriptures and it not being just there on the page but in their heart. May we be known for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.